Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone and is a project of EEI, Edison Electric Institute, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Christine Telford, Managing Director of External Affairs at EEI, and I am your host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Current Podcast. I'm excited to have Ryan Murphy, Director of Electric Operations at Puget Sound Energy, joining us today. As we all know, it is still wildfire season, and so we're excited to dig in with him on all the efforts Puget Sound Energy has going on in terms of wildfire mitigation. Ryan, welcome to the show. Christine, thank you. It's good to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to to join and share Puget Sound Energy's story about wildfire mitigation and all that we're doing. So thank you. Absolutely. So tell me about Puget Sound Energy Service Territory and the area of the Pacific Northwest that you all serve. Puget Sound Energy serves the Pacific Northwest. We serve essentially the west side of Washington State and some communities in eastern Washington as well. The Pacific Northwest where we serve here in Washington State is a an incredibly beautiful area. There is a lot of vegetation, a lot of trees. It's very green in the Pacific Northwest. We see a lot of rainfall over much of the year. But with that being said, in the summertime, we are seeing drier summers. We're seeing hotter weather. And with that comes an increasing risk of wildfires. So we're very focused on wildfire mitigation year-round here at PSE. So can you speak to the mitigation work your team has been doing so far this year? You bet. And I'll start by saying there's really two main categories as I answer this question of, of what PSE, Puget Sound Energy, is doing to prepare and mitigate for wildfires. And it's there's there's an operational category, Christine, and there's, there's also, I'm going to refer to it as ongoing planning. And in the operational category, that's everything we're doing on the front line. Those are detailed patrols of all of our high-risk distribution and transmission circuits, ongoing training for our, for our employees, continual improvements in our operational procedures, and then really tooling up our frontline resources to ensure that that they have the right the right safety training, the right PPE, the right tools, the right work practices to help further mitigate any chance for ignition. In the planning category, this is our this is our continual grid hardening system investments, the development of improved risk modeling of our high-risk uh, transmission and distribution circuits. It's all of the community engagement, and I know we're going to get into that today, and I'm excited to share all that we're doing with community engagement, because as we plan and begin to build additional tools, such as future public safety power shutoffs, which will be a tool of last resort. But as we build those public safety power shutoffs tools, we need to understand how our communities feel, the concerns our communities have, 
We need to understand the way our communities prepare for power outages. We need to understand how they receive information, how they want to receive information, what their needs are around all that communication flow. How are our communities, customers, emergency management partners, firefighting agencies, what are their needs? How can we partner with them during a public safety power shutoff? And then really just speaking overall to our communities about what we're doing year round to prepare. That's great. I love the kind of partnership angle and how you all are really thinking through that holistically. Can you talk about the community meetings you've been doing and the discussions around the mitigation efforts you are undertaking? You bet. So we have set up and put a lot of work into inviting a lot of community members, our our customers, emergency management officials, state and local officials, including the Department of Natural Resources, local community centers. And, And we've gone out to several communities where we have higher wildfire risk. And that and that is based on data sets that begin with the 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 Forest Service and burn potential, burn probability, and then where we have infrastructure that is above ground in those areas, we have pretty sophisticated methodology that determines where our higher risk areas are. And those communities where the higher risk is, is where we focus these these various town hall meetings. And so as we engaged with our our customers and communities and partners in those particular communities, we really set out to understand a few key aspects. Number one is, where do people get information during natural hazards and local emergencies? So what is their go-to source for information? Number two, we wanted to gather insights on how people prepare for power outages, what their concerns are if they're having their power turned off, and how much notice do they feel they need to get prepared for a public safety power shutoff? And then the third aspect really was, let's listen well and understand where we could support and partner both with community centers, emergency management officials, fire departments. We had a a very good showing by, by, by local county fire departments. And so that was really the third piece. Overarching, Christine, in this was we PSE also wanted to educate and inform our communities what we're doing, not just during wildfire season, but year round to make our community safer, our customers safer, make our electrical infrastructure more resilient to wildfire risk. So it it was a beautiful opportunity to engage, connect in a meaningful way. And our community engagement teams at PSC just did a wonderful job of really connecting with customers so we could listen. And and there's a really cool story I'm going to sneak in here that this was one of my favorite aspects of our work. During one of the community events in a pretty remote area here in Washington State, we learned from the residents of that small community that They have a bit of a unique situation in that there's a small two-lane road. It's one way in and one way out. And so the concern there was if there was a wildfire and trees across the road, getting out and getting supplies and getting to safety was really a unique risk for them. 
And so we actually took that information and we now have a project in our in the planning phases to underground the power routing into that community. Pretty cool story. That is really cool. I love hearing any stories about undergrounding. Those are those are always good to hear. Going back to the piece about kind of the communities and your outreach there, are there specific ways you're reaching out to underserved communities and how are you all tackling that? Yeah, that's a great question because our our underserved communities is a is a focal part of all of our planning because there's barriers to overcome. Sometimes it's communication barriers, sometimes it's technology barriers. So just communicating with underserved communities requires a special focus and a special strategy. The only way to really learn that, Christine, is to get out and talk to the communities and hear those voices. And during the event itself, there's it's important for us to understand the impacts might not be the same across all all customers, all 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 people because not everyone can afford a backup generator. Not everyone keeps their vehicle full of gas to, you know, go out and and leave the area. Not everyone can afford a hotel. So there's we we have to acknowledge just in society in general that there are different resource levels and we serve a vital service to to our communities as an energy provider. And so it is critical for us to understand that and to have underserved communities as a focal part of our planning and response. Great. Let's pivot now and talk about just kind of the process around an actual wildfire. As we all know, customer communication is is up at the utmost importance in that type of situation. Can you talk about how your team are communicating before, during, and after a wildfire? You bet. And I'm, I'm going to start by sharing some insights. There's really two pieces to your question, Christine. There's there's the question of a wildfire that's in progress and maybe encroaching on a community or encroaching on our infrastructure. So one example might be a lightning strike um, miles and miles and miles away from any communities. And as that wildfire spreads with an active wildfire in place, there's a communication need there. The other piece is a, an ignition risk. So proactive response and proactive communication to customers. So let me, let me hit on the first one for a moment. We've had, and this is, this is very normal. It's, it's not new. But with the emergence of wildfire risk, it is, it feels new, is we will, when needed for the, for the safety of on-site emergency response personnel, whether they're from a firefighting agency, the Department of Natural Resources, EMS, other firefighters, or, or even our own frontline employees, we will de-energize power intentionally if the fire's encroaching to make sure that all of the boots on the ground stay safe. So it, we may find a situation where the fire's coming close and we don't want energized lines falling on the ground due to fire damage. And so it, sometimes the, 
sometimes the public doesn't understand the difference and the and the media does not understand the difference between we shut power off for the safety of firefighters or emergency responders versus we shut power off because we have a weather event where ignition is is a heightened risk so i'll touch on a little bit of the 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 future public safety power shut off i will highlight to you that you know we are in the planning and developing stage so at pse we have not had a public safety power shut off but i'll i'll kind of steer this question towards what are we hearing from our communities and and how are we beginning to plan and design our communication strategies for for our our customers and for our communities what what i would essentially summarize as our customers get information from from various it depends on the community but various sources of of information are utilized by our customers of course the the internet websites reaching out and looking at our our outage maps looking at watching the news cycles things of that nature and in in some areas that's less prevalent in smaller communities we're hearing from our our customers that they may go to the the local fire chief they may drive down the street to the to the local fire department and they have someone there they can speak with and so it in smaller communities it tends to be a a word of mouth strategy for communicating versus in maybe more urban areas it's a lot of the standard sources you would expect news websites social media and so forth and and in terms of how much notice individuals would like there's a little variation in the answer but if i were to summarize it most individuals want to know 48 hours in advance that there's a possibility for a public safety power shut off and in that 12 hour to 24 hour they really want would would ideally like to know what's happening for sure so on the minimum end of notification a lot of people have communicated we want at least 12 hours to know that a public safety public safety power shut off is going to happen you know there are there are of course many individuals who were happy with less notice than that but again this gets to the underserved community discussion and really finding the right timeline to communicate and balance that with credible information coming from weather sources the national weather service as one of those primary sources of information as as we know when the event gets closer the the weather models get more accurate they they run with they run with with greater accuracy as the timelines get shorter so you're looking out a few days and the confidence of the weather event is less certain than it is as you're 12 hours out as you're 24 hours out and so forth so it's really finding that balance of providing timely information christine with with credible information that has a growing confidence level from our 
our partners at the National Weather Service. Got it. That is great. You know, I I love learning about what our members are are doing on wildfires just because it's, I think, probably one of the greatest challenges we see as an industry. To kind of wrap up our conversation today, are there any lessons learned or best practices that you can share as kind of a, you know, something that we can share with other companies or, or others that might have things to learn from from you all? Yes, there is. I, I love this question. And we, we engage often with our peers around the country, some who are further along with public safety power shutoffs and wildfire mitigation, and then some who are, who are earlier in that process. And here's what I would say, Christine, are the sort of the main lessons learned that come out of some of those discussions. Number one is weather forecasting is a big challenge. So where will the wind show up? Where will the, will the forecasted wind gusts show up and where? And mother nature is going to do what mother nature is going to do. And so how do you balance the uncertainty in weather forecasts versus shutting off large areas of power, which creates a different set of risks? That is, everyone is struggling with weather forecasts accuracy when and where and to what degree will the weather show up the second thing i will share is the customer communication aspect providing customers with an exact time on when their power is going to be restored is highly challenging because before we restore power we must look at the areas we've shut off because if a tree fell in the line while the power was off, the wind showed up, we need to find that. We need to clear the tree out. We need to make everything safe before we restore. And there's lot, there's many, many miles of overhead infrastructure that could be de-energized in a public safety power shut off. So how much wind shows up? Where does it show up? How many repairs are required before we restore? Those are all good reasons to have the power off, but really communicating with customers exactly when power is going to be off. That's a challenge that, that all of our peers are, are struggling with. And that, that time required to patrol, it's, it's not a small task. It is not a small task to safely restore power after a public safety power shutoff. Some residents may feel I had my power shut off. There really wasn't much wind in my area, in my, in my little neighborhood here. Why is my power not back on? The red flag warning is over. Why is my power not back on? It's far more complicated than that to ensure that everyone gets power restoration safely. I think those are the, the main lessons learned I would probably share in the interest of time. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Ryan. It's been great learning about what Puget Sound Energy is doing in the wildfire mitigation space. So appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us again. You bet. Thank you so much. We hope that you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy. 